message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Be seated. How are we? Good? Everybody's good? All right. Right on. Right on. Um, it's my honor this morning. It's my humble pleasure to uh, be able to introduce you to our new pastor for his first official sermon as pastor of this church. And um, I want you to know that that is um, uh, that's a blessing to me. I have uh, largely stayed out of the, uh, the process and uh, just kind of stepped back and let you and our elders uh, walk through this process. And uh, for the most part, I've I, you know, kind of kept my ear out there and, and listened in to how things were going, and I'm, I'm, I'm proud of how you've handled uh, this transition. There have been a couple of things, uh, some miscommunications maybe, and some some question marks, etc. But for for the for the large part, I'm just I'm just glad that we're here today. And uh, my um, my belief is that here in a few weeks, uh, this whole transition will be be done. It'll be a non-issue, and we'll we'll be moving forward into the next phase of what God has for Cornerstone. And uh, one of the reasons that I want to stand here today is to let you know that, that I'm blessed by this whole thing. And I'm good, and I'm excited about what's happening next. And I, uh, as an elder, as I continue to serve as an elder here, um, I'm excited to serve our new pastor and to serve alongside our elders and to serve alongside you. And uh, this, is, this is just what God wants, and it's, it's how he's doing it, and it's, it's good. I had a chance to spend some time with Bobby this past week and just to hear his heart, and, and I'm I'm completely at peace with the decision that you guys have made as a church and as a, as a team. Thank you to that team. Uh, you guys put in a lot of work, a lot of meetings in uh, Andy's house across the street from my house. I saw the time that you guys put in. I know it was a labor of love for this body and this congregation. I know that you really sought the Lord, and your task was great, and, and God kind of moved in the whole thing, and here we are. And so uh, it's my honor. Bobby, why don't you come up, bring your better half up with you. I want to pray for you guys and just bless uh, the next season um, of the life of Cornerstone. All right? All right. Yeah, Lord, uh, it's been good to be in your house already this morning. I love being with this family. Thank you that through uh, the last 10 years we've grown to be family. And some family have moved away and some have, some have uh, taken other roads, and that's fine. And Lord, even in this uh, transition, uh, there have been some question marks and maybe some people have uh, you know, a couple here or there have had the temptation to take their ball and go home. But, Lord, we're family, and that happens sometimes, Lord. Sometimes family, uh, family rub each other the wrong way, but we're family, and, and, and we're here. And, and, Lord, as I sit this morning and I, and I sing your praises that you are a good, good father, and I'm loved, we're loved, that's, that's, that's who we are. Lord, all that other stuff just kind of just seems so ridiculous and meaningless. We're here for you, Lord. We're here for you. It's not a social club. It's not a, it's not a group we come to once a week. We're here for you. We're here for your glory. We're here for your grace and your mercy that you've extended so, so lavishly upon us. And so, Lord, we, we, we push all the other stuff away, and now we move forward into the next phase that is the life of Cornerstone. As, and as the, as the guy who was here before, Lord, I, I, I'm humbled to, to pass the torch uh, to my new friends, my new pastor, and my new pastor's wife, and I, I would ask your covering over them, Lord, yes. as they step into the front lines of this ministry. I ask that you would, you would guard their hearts, protect their, uh, 
their vision for this place. And Lord, I pray that they would find around them the family that, that has always been around mine. And so, Lord, I ask, um, I ask a miracle in this place from here forward for what is next for this family, this church family called Cornerstone. It's built upon your son, who is our cornerstone. And it's in his name we pray and ask these things. Amen. 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 Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start a new series today about uh, discerning truth. And how do we discern truth in a a world where there's just a, a lot of lies, there's a lot of falseness, there's a lot of things, a lot of deception that's going on. And so how do we, you know, as, as Christians, as people that are just seeking out truth and really want guidance in our lives, how, how do we really do that? And I know the easy answer is just, you know, God's word. But how does that really take place? You know, how do we actually fabricate that into our lives? How do we actually carry that out? And so this morning we're going to start uh, for the next three or four weeks about just discerning truth in a deceptive world. But I'm going to start, since school started back this week, for, for most of uh, the students, uh, you're not going to get off easy just because you're uh, either teachers or adults or parents and all that. I'm going to do a quick little quiz, uh, see if anybody has a, a clue about this. Uh, several names are going to be up there on, on the board there. Uh, Steven Spielberg, Kevin Bacon, John Denver, Larry King, Jeffrey Katzenberg. He's the one that does uh, Shrek and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Zsa, Zsa Gabor. Some of you younger ones may not even recognize that name. And Sandy Koufax. He was a Hall of Fame pitcher. Uh, some of the young ones, again, unless you're a big baseball fan, you would Anybody have a clue of what they have in common? I mean, that's a pretty varied bunch right there, you know, both in age. Um, old and rich. I like how you think there, Q. Okay, yeah, old and rich. Uh, many of them were older and rich, yes? Uh, uh, but, but they have something even else. And No, they're not. Not that I know of, but now that I'm looking at them, John Denver wouldn't fit that. And I don't know about Kevin Bacon, but you're right. Everybody else up there, I think, does have a Jewish background. I didn't pick up on that, Andy. (laughs) Anybody else have a clue? No, not all lefties. Ever heard of a guy by the name of Bernie Madoff? Yeah, yeah. Biggest fraud ever done in in America. Uh, Some totals of 60 $65 $65 billion that, was, uh, that these people were defrauded from. Every one of those had money invested with him, uh, along with thousands more. And, and really what made this strange is, isn't that there's not fraud that goes on all the time. The fraud happens everywhere. It, it happens here in Jackson County. It happens in, in our own lives where there's fraud, and we kind of believe a lie, and we find out only afterwards that it's a lie. But really what made this so different and why it caught the news back in 2008 is two things. Number one, the client list, the thousands of people that were defrauded by Bernie Madoff were pretty smart, intelligent people. I mean, these people, not only did they have a lot of money, like you said, Q, they're kind of rich and they're older. You would think a little bit of experience. But a lot of these had a rich background in investments and different things like that. The second thing was the man himself. This wasn't just, you know, some email that you got that says, okay, I'm, I'm in Nigeria and I want to send you $12 million. All you have to do is give me your bank account information. Now, this guy started his own business in 1960, and he was one of the leading ones. He was actually uh, a leader in the NASDAQ. He was the chairman of NASDAQ for, I think, 90, 92, and 93. Uh, this guy was reptile. At the time, in 2008, he was leading the sixth largest market maker in the whole uh, uh, United States. 
I mean, this was not just somebody who kind of came out of the dark and then all of a sudden kind of had a scam. And yet all these people, even though they have some intelligence, we would think of them maybe as sophisticated, kind of learned, and yet they believed the lie. Uh, the point being, even if you have been in church all your life, even if you are a student of God's word, even those, we are susceptible to the lies and the deceptions of a culture that are out there. You hear something often enough, you begin to wonder, is it really true? Now, let me give you a, a real personal experience just from this week. Uh, last Sunday was a glorious day in, in the life of my family. You made us feel so welcome. You, you voted us in, and, and we're, we're ready to serve. I'll just share with you my heart. Monday night, about 2 o'clock in the morning, I woke up, and I had a, a thought in my head that says, what have I done? And, you know, and it just all of a sudden, there was a lot of things that just, I mean, it was a darkness. It just came in, and it slapped, folks. It slapped. right. And, and I immediately began to pray, God, will you fill my heart and my mind with your truth? And really, it went away almost instantly. And I've been praying that all week. God, will you just surround me with your truth? Uh, there is no doubt in my mind that God in his grace and his providence has brought Carly and I here to, to serve along with you and to, and to reach this community for Jesus Christ. And, and yet, in that moment, there really was a darkness. In that moment, there was question. There was this unbelief and maybe even disbelief. And I had to come back to God's word. I don't know if you've ever had experiences like that. But it comes up even when we're doing the most Christ-like things. I mean, we're trying to love our wife as Christ loved the church. And yet sometimes it's like, man, I'm not going to love her for that because that's just... And all of a sudden we have to kind of do that gut check and come back to scriptural truth instead of just what our mind, our emotions. See, that's what we looked at last week. Remember we talked about there's two things that's going on in our heart and our head that really can deceive us. Our heart, our emotions, our feelings. I mean, there's a lot of times that, you know, you kind of go with the feeling. And Have you ever went with the feeling and it turned out that that really wasn't a truthful way to live? I mean, listen, think about forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of those things. That I heard a theologian say one time, you will never be more like Christ than when you truly forgive. Because sometimes we're waiting for forgiveness with an attachment. Okay, I'll forgive if they make amends, if they say they're sorry, if they do these things. So we have these conditions. Is that the conditions that Christ forgave you? No, he forgave us. His grace approached us. His grace swamped us, and he just forgave us. And now he asks us to forgive as we've been forgiven. And so our heart sometimes knows the head, the logic, the biblical truth, and yet our heart just doesn't catch up. Then there's other times that our head, you know, is being too logical, that maybe there is something before us. And so we begin to weigh these things back and forth. And have you ever been in that quandary when your head said to do one thing, but your heart said to do something else? Or your heart just said to do one thing, and your head said to do something else. And and so we're left there at that point, folks, just to kind of weigh those those two things. And sometimes the wind, whichever wind is blowing a little bit more, whichever one's kind of winning out that day, the heart or the head, we kind of go in that direction. Well, last week we talked about that's not how God wants us to understand our relationship with him. He has made it final, and, and yes, every promise the Bible says that God has made to us is yes and amen through the work of Jesus Christ. And, and he said, I don't want you to have to come fight that of kind of what one's going to uh, win out that day, the, the heart or the head. Uh, there's another problem with the heart and the head. And listen really close, because I do not want to start off the pastorate here with bad theology, okay? So I, I, want, you, I want you to know that when it comes to our heart, that when God saved you, if you have trusted Jesus Christ in his work and his work alone, 
for your salvation. Not your own works, nothing that you've done, nothing that God saw in you that he said, you know, you're worthy to save. But if you truly see that you are saved by grace alone through faith that you've placed in the work of Jesus Christ, that is sufficient. That is what's made us right with God. At the same time, do you know that even though we are now this new creation, the heart and the head that we have, even as Christians, redeemed Christians, still kind of face some, you know, bruises. Uh, Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 7. Remember in Romans chapter 7, Paul was talking, and he talked about how, uh, um, you know, that the very things that he wanted to do, he didn't do. And the very things he didn't want to do, he ended up doing. And a lot of people say, well, maybe that was Paul pre-conversion. That was before he came to Christ. Now, I firmly believe that that was, he's already become a Christian. And what he's talking about, because if you read in verse 20 of Romans chapter 7, he says, you know, there's a part of me, there's a part of my spirit that just wants to do godly things. He didn't say it quite like that, but he said, there's in my innermost being and what God has placed there, man, I just want to serve. I have a love for the law and for the word of God. But by the time we get to verse 23 of Romans chapter 7, he said, but I have also members within me that are fighting the law of my mind. Have you ever felt that way? I mean, I've, that's always been one of my favorite passages in Romans chapter 7 because I'm going, Paul, thank you for saying it because I was embarrassed to say it. But yeah, the very things I want to do, I mean, really you have this heartbeat to do. You're a Christian. We, we sing about this good, good father and you want to live that out. And yet there's this part of you that says, well, you know, I don't know that I'm really going to extend forgiveness to that person. I don't know that I'm going to go over here and do this. And, and so we have this heart fully redeemed by Christ. Don't want anybody to think that, you know, that this broken heart that we have is not because the, the work of Christ is not sufficient. I'm just quoting what Paul said. Because Paul was talking about the reality that even though the Bible says that, that when God saved us, he took out this heart of stone and he puts in this heart of flesh, that we still walk this world. And that's why you and I, if we're very honest with ourselves, sometimes don't always do what we really inside want to do. Get motivated on Sunday. Have you ever been so motivated by a sermon? And Pastor Darrell is just, I mean, he has just lit the fire underneath you, and you're so excited, but by Monday morning, you know, you kind of have to put it to the test. And you're going, man, I just wish Pastor Darrell could just walk with me. You know, encourage me. You know, maybe I can just keep him right there in speed dial because I was so excited on Sunday and I was there kneeling at the altar and I was just so ready to go and do these things for God and just live out this glory of who I am in Christ and the redemptive life that he's given me. And somehow by Monday morning, when you're confronted with the reality of life, that energy, that spirit, and that desire is not there. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Discerning truth is not just for a lost world. It is so easy for a, a body of Christ and for Christians to say, well, we have truth, and the world doesn't have truth, and so you know, we just want to be light in the darkness, and it is our job and responsibility to make sure this world knows what's true. Folks, we do have that responsibility. We are light in the darkness. We are salt to flavor this world. But I'm telling you, my experience of walking with Christ all these years is that it has not been a linear growth pattern like this. It has been a roller coaster. There's been days when, you know, you, just, you could not be more in love with Jesus than those other days you wonder how God could even love you. And there's days that you want to serve him with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength, just like the word says. And then there's other days you're going, you know, I went to church this week. That, that should be sufficient till next Sunday. Am I talking to myself or can you relate to all those real feelings? 
And so we need to discern truth as Christians. It's not just, I don't want anybody to think, okay, man, this is the next three or four weeks, we're going to tell this world how wrong they are on all these different issues that are political issues or spiritual issues out there. No, we as the body of Christ, we who have walked with Christ, been saved by his glorious son and his finished work, we still struggle with these things. And so this morning, we're going to look and we kind of uh, get a foundation of how do we discern truth in a world of deception. And we're going to use Paul's advice and his direction to Timothy. Remember the relationship between the Apostle Paul and Timothy? Timothy is a young pastor. He's coming along, and, and Paul has really kind of mentored him, and he's kind of guided him. And Paul, by this time, more than likely is in prison, and he is facing an execution from Nero, uh, Christian history would tell us. And so as he's waiting there, really to die, he doesn't know if this is the last time that he will ever speak to Timothy, but he writes two letters. And in the second letter, he is really personal. And he gets right there with Timothy, and he begins to try to encourage him. And the first part of that letter is about all the chaos that's going on in the Christian world or in the spiritual world. He says, you know, they've come in, and, and they're trying to change this, and they're trying to change that. And all the early Christian doctrines that had been set and set forth by Christ and by the early church fathers and, and the apostles and all that teaching, they were already trying to twist that. That they were already trying to, to say things that weren't true. For example, there were some that were going out there and saying, you know, when Christ rose from the dead, yes, he did that, but he really didn't have a physical body. You know, I think it was more like a spiritual body. It looked like a real body, but it was just a spiritual body. Already in the first and second century, they started to kind of add these things in. Folks, you take away the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have nothing. We have nothing. And so this foundational teaching, believe it or not, even in those early years, first and second century, were already being questioned by people. Then there were others, and and this came more from the Jewish side of those that had come to Christ and were now Christians. But they were going, you know, man, we had to get circumcised. We had to get this. And, And they said, well, okay, in order to become a Christian, we know it's through Christ, but we really think if you're a Gentile, if you're non Jewish, you really should do all the Jewish practices first. Then you can become a Christian. And so they were starting to put all these different things on there that you had to do in order to become a Christian. Already in the first century of Christianity, first generations of believers, they were already wondering what's truth. And there was all kinds of uh, false things that were being purported. And so Paul, that's the context of Paul writing to Timothy in this very personal letter. And look what he says there, 2 Timothy 3.14. We're going to start in... Chapter 3, verse 14. 2 Timothy three fourteen, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. See that phrase, continue in what you have learned? Uh, if you believe in writing your Bible, uh, I'd circle that. It's very, very important. Every word of God is important, but that's kind of a key to that verse. I realize that some people don't write in the Bible. I made that mistake when I was about eight years old. I was at my grandmother's house, and the, the family Bible sat right there. And uh, one time she had given me some milk and cookies, and when I was done with the glass of milk, I put the, the glass of milk on the Bible, and I thought my grandmother was going to go to heaven right there. I, mean, I think it was one of those times that, you know, I did not realize. I, I don't know if she, you know, went to church, the, you know, every day for the next three months just to get repentance from, from her grandson's sin there. And so I realize that some of you go, you know, I just don't write in the Bible. 
But uh, you will hear me say from time to time, hey, underline that, circle this, because it will really be a kind of a key connection to that particular verse. And when we look at verse 14, he says, continue in what you have learned. Timothy had been exposed to foundational truth of, of God's word. But he wasn't, you know, okay, I'm going to go off to seminary, I'm going to learn all this stuff. He had been from a child, he had grown up in God's truth. And so the advice that Paul gives to Timothy there is continue in what you already know to be true. Look there in verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Continue what you already know to be true. Why? Because I want you from childhood, Timothy, you've been taught the word of God. Now, anybody remember who taught Timothy the word of God? Yeah, if you go back to the, the first part of, uh, of uh, the chapter, it says that his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice, there's two good names, Lois and Eunice, you know, teaming up and he said, from the, from the time that you were little, you've been taught the word of God. Your Mimi, or whatever he called his grandmother, your Mimi and, and, and your mother, they, they taught you God's word. And when we begin to see this, guys, I, I want to make an impression, especially since we have a lot of young families, we have a lot of grandparents and parents. Folks, there is a difference between being raised in the church and raised in the Word. There really is. I would hope that every child had the blessing to be raised in the church. I, I really do. Because in the church is where we have, as Daryl said, family. This is where, you know, we can squabble together, we can get frustrated, but at the end of the day, man, we gather around the table and we're family. And I would not want to rob any child from that great blessing. But if all we did was to raise a child in the church and not really in the Word, then we haven't done the full job. You know, Timothy, you know, Paul didn't say to Timothy, okay, Timothy, just keep on going to church. And make sure that you're there as often as you can be. And he said, continue in what you've already learned. My prayer is that uh, as you start to raise your children, many of you are in that point of raising children, and, and especially at a time that some of them are as old as 12 and 13 years old. Others are, are having that grandmotherly and grandfatherly influence on their lives. That you would understand the importance of raising your children, not just in church, but in the Word. See, that's the beauty of Cornerstone. It's, it's truly uh, a loving church. I, I, one of the things that when I first sat down with uh, the committee, when they called and we began that interview, uh, one of the first things that just really uh, excited my heart uh, is that you're a Bible-believing and you're a Bible-preaching, teaching church expository preaching, going and looking at what the Word of God says, not just kind of mentioning a verse and then kind of running off, but that we would examine God's Word and we would see what it says so that it can shape our lives, it can start to work in our lives. And I'll never forget it. One of the committee members said, yeah, we're, we're a red meat church. We don't just, you know, want it all watered down or to feel good. We're a red meat church. And I went home to Carly and I said, Carly, whether we go there or not, there's a special people up there in Jefferson. I said, man, I just fell in love with them because they desire to know God's Word. They're not just doing church. They truly are studying and feeding upon the riches of God's Word. See, that's the only way that we know that it's a good, good father, Ricky. 
Do, do we sit out and, and just say, you know, as beautiful as the Grand Canyon is, as beautiful as the sum of God's creation, and we certainly see, Paul says, an, imprint, you know, an impression of God through his creation. But how would I know the forgiveness of that God if it had not been, you know, told me in his word? I would just know that, man, there must be a great God to create this kind of a, a big old canyon here and the beauty of a sunset or a sunrise that has all these different colors. We would know some things about God just by observation of the creation that he has created. But salvation, the intimacy of, of really knowing God and knowing his blessings and, and knowing him through Jesus Christ's son, where did you get all that information? History? No, his word. So that's what makes it personal. Uh, raise your kids in church, please. Uh, raise them in this church. But raise them in the Word. I, I would hope that every parent, one day, uh, we, we just put our second one and uh, sent her off. That sounds kind of, yeah, sent her off. Uh, we just dropped her off at, at college a couple weeks ago. Uh, she's in her sophomore year at West Georgia. And that day will come for all, for all the parents. And Angel, I know that y'all, y'all got that coming up next year, right? And, and, uh, and so, you know, you, you've got that day when you're just kind of dropping off that, that one that's just been a blessing to you that you love so much. And I pray that you will be able to say what Paul said to Timothy. That you'll be able to look that son, that daughter in the eye and say, continue in what you've learned. You're talking about a blessing? You're talking about a blessing of a parent, a grandparent? Being able to do that to a child, not saying, okay, man, I hope you make it. (laughs) Man, I'm going to throw you off on this campus, and I hope that you can swim and tread water, because if not, you're going to sink and die here. I pray that every parent, every grandparent, will be able to have that special time that when you're, maybe it's on their wedding day. Maybe it's that time, but you're launching them out into life, and you're able to say, I just want you to continue in what you have learned. But folks, that doesn't happen just because. They're growing up in a culture that really doesn't really want to even stand for God's word. And so it has to be intentional. It has to be purposeful. And we begin to see this. And there's two things that we begin to see as we look at the following verses. Uh, and if you're taking notes, you can kind of write down these two words because they're two key words that I think bring to life Paul's intention to Timothy. The first word is intimacy. The second one is intentionality. There's an intimate nature of God's word, and there's an intentional nature to God's word. And do you see the intimacy in this passage? It's not just that Paul just really was fond of Timothy. It wasn't just that he invested weeks, months, years into this young man's life. There's an intimacy there, but it's this intimacy of just, okay, continue on what you learned. He knows enough about Timothy to say, continue in what you've learned. He's able to call out, Timothy, remember what your grandma and your mother taught you? He knows that, enough, he knows that much about him that he said, continue in that. You've had uh, the sacred writings. You, you've had uh, exposure to God's word since you were a little kid. Continue in that. There's an intimacy and a relationship that comes there. I, I was being a guy yesterday. Uh, last night I was watching the golf tournament, and all of a sudden a Publix commercial came on. 
And I don't know if any of you guys watching the golf tournament, but there's this, uh, this public commercial comes on. And, you know, usually around Thanksgiving, Christmas, they always have these tear jerkers and these, you know, just kind of grab your heart. But they had one yesterday, and it starts off with uh, these parents, and they're getting out of bed, and they go over there, and, and there's the little one-year-old, and they're celebrating this first day. And then it kind of goes through very rapidly because it really does happen that fast. You know, the fifth birthday, the tenth birthday, the eighteenth birthday, and all the way through. And then finally you get to that last part, and he says, you know, we may have given you life, but you've given us so much more. And I'm sitting, I was watching golf. Why do you have to do that? As a father of two daughters that I adore, you know, folks, that's the intimacy of what we see here. Not just in the relationship between Paul and Timothy, but it's the intimacy of God's word. It's the intimacy of relationship. I mean, some of you have been there and done that. You're, you're grandparents, you've sent them off, and now you're working on the second generation, and you're the Mimi part of that. You're the, you know, you're the grandmother that's being that grandmother or grandfather influence. Some of you, you can look at that whole thing as anticipation. Okay, one day we are going to send little Junior off to college. One day, you know, he's going to, and she's going to go off to this place and, and be married perhaps. And I pray that on that day that you will be able to say what Paul said to Timothy. Hey, son, sweetheart, just continue in what you've learned. Continue in what you have learned. And there might be some here today that I said, well, man, that's pretty intimidating, Pastor, because, you know, when you said to open up to 2 Timothy, I didn't have a clue of where to open the Bible. I didn't know if that's Old Testament, New Testament. In fact, I don't even know if that's the correct terminology, Old and New Testament. Maybe, maybe you have just started that whole kind of, you know, informational kind of thing of, of what the Bible is and, and really how uh, it, it's to, to, to play that part in your life and, and truly that it's the revealed Word of God for your life. Let me encourage you this morning. This sermon about teaching your children is not just for those who've already done that, done a good job, or those who are about to do that. If you don't know the difference between Old Testament and New Testament, if you don't know the difference between Second Timothy and, and Exodus of the Old Testament, let me encourage you this morning. That's why you are to be a part of a family of believers. See, in the same time that you're learning about the goodness of God's grace and who God is and that he truly is a good, good father. In the same way that you're learning that, your kids can be back there with people like Jeff and others and and all the ones that go out there to pour into their lives. I promise you that this is a a tag team event. This is not solo. I promise you there's going to be days as much as you love Christ that uh, you just don't feel like pouring into your kids, at least the love of God. Maybe something else, but not the love of God. And and so that's why we need one another. Now look what happens here. The intimacy, this intimate nature of the word of God we see in the next verse. 2 Timothy 3.16. Look at how it begins there. All scripture is inspired by God. That that means that everything that we hold in this book, from Genesis to Revelation, You know, God has inspired this truth. This is not man's writings. I'll be the first one to tell you that God in his grace and his providence decided to allow people like Peter and James, John, Paul to write. Certainly their personalities come through. If I've had this discussion once, I've had it a hundred times where people will come up, you know, I love Jesus, but I'm just not a real big fan of Paul's. I just don't like Paul's writings. 
And, and I, I, I kind of know where they're coming from. And, and I go, you know, but you do know that Paul is just writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Yes, he's you know, using his personality and, and who he is. That's why we have this distinction behind, behind John's writings and, and, and you know, the other Gospels, and, and they all serve different purposes. But, folks, not for a second can we pick apart part of Paul's theology and say, well, I just didn't like the way that Paul said that. I mean, we can say it, but what we're saying is, I don't like how God said that. Paul makes it very clear. He continues on that that thought of intimacy, and he says, all Scripture is breathed out. That's the literal translation, breathed out by God. It's It's spoken by God. And when we begin to see that it's breathed out for God, he breathes out that truth. And Paul warns Timothy to realize that, that God is the one who's speaking there. And so when we read God's word, we're not reading Paul's version of God. We're not reading John's version of God. We're not reading, you know, some other writer's version of God. If you want to know the heart of God, if you want to know if he really is a good, good father, read his word because God is the one who's inspired that so that we could know him. You want to know the purposes of God? Read his word. Study his word. You know the will of God? You want to know that in your life? Read the word. And God will speak his will, his word, and his way and his purposes to you. I mean, we, we live in a day and time. And have you ever heard somebody say this? Or, or maybe you've even said that? Well, the God I serve would never... Fill in the blank. You know, my God wouldn't fill in the blank. And if your God that you're speaking about in that case of whatever that fill in the blank is does not line up with Scripture, who's wrong? I, I mean, I, I don't want to step on any toes this morning, but, but I will. Uh, in one way, the audacity, the audacity, of any human being ever to say, well, my God would never, when God has affirmed something, truth in his word, and for us to stand there in the audacity and say, well, my God would. Well, maybe your God, that version of your God would. But holy God, the God who is, this is his word. He has breathed it out. It's inspired. It's breathed out by God. And so we get this intimacy that's there, and we begin to see that everything that we know about the nature of God, that he's this good, good father, we, we found in his word, that his mercy endureth forever, that he separated our sins, as we saw last week, as far as the east is from the west. These were not things that we got because we went to the Grand Canyon and we're going, wow, somebody had to create this, and this is pretty impressive. God shows you amazing things by his creation. But he shows you his character by his word and by his spirit. We are so blessed to live in this day and age where the Holy Spirit, God himself, dwells within us, inspires us, illuminates our minds and our hearts to to his truth and who he is so that when we sing a song like Good, Good Father, we can know that it's true. Perhaps one of the biggest obstacles I've had in 33 years of ministry and talking uh, to, to people about the fatherly nature of God is when they had a really terrible father. Because you start talking about father and all they have in their file, all they have is bad. They were beaten, they were abused, they were this, they were told they were no good, they would never amount to anything. All they know about a father is nothing but negative. 
And to where you, if you had a good father, you go, man, one of the things I like about God, one of the descriptions I, that I like the most, when I can really sing those praise, is when we sing a song like, good, good father, because it's nothing but just joy. Well, that's not where everybody's coming from. And that's why we've got to come back not to our feelings and our emotions, not even to the logic of our own head, but to the word of God. So first and foremost, we see this intimate nature of God's word. But there's also an intentionality of God's word. God's word is, is here and very intentional. Let's read the rest of 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired, that is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. For, for the balance of this morning, we're going to take those four things, and we're going to say, okay, here's God's, in, his word is here with an intentionality. He has given us this precious word with great intention. And he mentions four things that are the intention of God's word in our life. The first one, teaching. Uh, the Greek word there uh, basically can be translated doctrine. This is where you get your theology. Uh, we are not to come up with theology and then see if it fits the Bible. Where, where, do, you get your bio, where do you get your theology? If it's biblical theology from God's word what we let God teach us. And that's the first one here when he starts talking about teaching. The emphasis is this, uh, God gives us foundational truth. He gives us really a, something to build our lives upon. That Christ would die for our sins, that theology of this exchange that happens when he takes all of our sins and he gives us his righteousness, his rightness with God, because that's what happens in the life of a Christian by the work of Christ. We didn't get that because we just sat around saying, you know, what would really be a good thing for God to do? No, we get that from his word. So there's a part of God's word that is you and I would study it in a daily devotion, coming to church, small group time, all those. That is going to be a teaching element. It's going to be a foundation, a doctrinal foundation, so that we can say these are the things we believe. When we end this morning, our response song is a song that's wonderful. We believe. Well, where did we come up with those things that we believe? Did we just kind of take a poll? So, okay, you know, how many are for the virgin birth? And, and if it gets the consensus of the people, we kind of go along with that? No, we get our doctrine. We get our foundational teaching of the Christian life and who God is and who we are, what sin is, what salvation is. We get it from God's word. So that's the first one. We really see this in Paul's letter uh, in Titus 1.9. He uses that same word for doctrine. And listen to what he says there. He's talking about the qualifications for a pastor, elder. But listen to what he says in, in, in light of this teaching, this foundational truth. He says he must hold firm. He's talking about this qualification for a, a teacher, elder, pastor, elder. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who, have, uh, who contradict it. He said, if you're going to be a pastor and elder, man, you've got to know doctrine. If you're going to serve in that capacity, you need to know doctrine so that when the winds of uh, a false truth comes in there, you're able to say to the congregation as a leader, man, that's false. When they started to, in that first century of believers, and they started saying, well, you know, I don't know that Jesus really had a physical body. It looked like a physical body. 
I mean, it sure did look like he was walking and talking with us. But I'm not so sure that it was really a physical body. I think it was just a spiritual body. When that wind of false doctrine came into the early church, it was the pastors, it was the elders, it was those that God had raised up to be these men of God that says, this is false. Well, folks, 2,000 years coming on, and I promise you, there's a lot of doctrines out in culture today. I mean, we can always think of the, the, the current kind of things, you know, the redefinition of marriage, and we can always think of those kind of things. But just doctrine, we're talking about biblical doctrine. Man, there are people questioning things left and right. We come back to the Word, and, and that, that intention of God's Word is to be teaching us. There's a second one, to reproof. The word is often translated, maybe your Bible says to rebuke there. Uh, some versions, it basically, uh, it, this means that God exposes us in our lives to the truth of his word. And, and oftentimes when we talk about, well, man, God just really kind of stepped on my toes. Th- this is that part of the word. There's a part of us that would never do something in the light that we would do in the dark whether that's literal or figurative. And God has promised you and I, he says, one of the intentions of my word is that when you're reading my word and you're studying my word, I'm going to turn the lights on. Has he ever done that to you? I mean, you are harboring the lack of forgiveness. You are harboring bitterness. You are harboring something in your heart. And, you know, nobody else knew that. It was just right there in the darkness there of your heart. Nobody turned on lights. And all of a sudden you're having your daily devotion or you're listening to some preacher on TV or on the radio or something like that or you're just reading God's Word and all of a sudden, man, God just does it. <laughs> he he, he rebru- re- reproves you. He rebukes you. And, and He shows you an attitude that is not conducive to, to Christian life and, and the life that God wants for you. And so there's a part of it that, uh, you know, God just says, man, I'm gonna, man, you start having that element of pride in your life, I'm gonna, you stay in my word, I'm going to show it to you. You may think that it's in the dark. You may think that you've hidden it from my mess. I'm going to turn the lights on. Number three, correction. It kind of sounds like rebuke, you know, the, the correction part, but really it's, it's taking another avenue. The Bible doesn't just want to tell you what is wrong, but it wants to point us in the right way. Can you imagine taking a, an advanced level math course and, uh, you know, you get the, 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 the problem wrong and all the teacher will do is say, no, it's wrong. doesn't say, okay, here's the right way to do it. Here's the way that you should have solved it. Is that a good teacher? No, that's frustrating. And I know I got it wrong. Will you show me the right way to do it? That's what this word means. When God exposes, he turns on the light to that darkness, to a way of thinking, a way of believing, a way of acting that is not conducive to his word, that is not Christ-like, and he turns on that light. He doesn't just say, okay, there you are, you're caught in the dark. There's a part of God's word that is redeeming and edifying that always points us now, here's the right way to do it. When Paul is talking about relationship and husband and wife, and he says, okay, guys, love your wives as Christ loved the church, he doesn't just say, okay, go out there and just love your wives. He gives us a right direction. He says, do it like Christ did the church, the sacrificial, ready to die for your wife type of love. And he points us in the right direction. A good teacher always doesn't just point out the wrong, but teaches you how to do it right. And that's that aspect here. And uh, um, the, the word in the Greek is an interesting word. It's a word that uh, uh, points out that something fell over. 
for example, if this fell over, the word that's used here is that somebody went by and picked it and stood it back up. So it's not just, hey, look, that's fallen. There's a, folks, there's enough people out there to tell you that you have fallen. Would you agree with that? I mean, if you're ever going to amen this morning, that would probably be a good place to amen. Man, there are more than enough people that can sit there and, number one, want to know your business and, and how you do business to point out when you have fallen. It's one of the greatest tragedies of the myth of what the church should be. Well, I just don't want to go up there because they're just going to tell me how bad I am. No, let's let the Spirit of God and the Word of God examine their hearts, turn on the lights of what needs to be changed. Let us be part of the body of Christ that says, man, can I pick you back up? Can, can I put you right back in, the, in that direction now? That's this part of the intentionality of God's Word, not just to expose what is wrong, but to teach you what is right. It's kind of like truth and love. The Bible says that we should deal with one another in what? Truth and love. What would happen if you just dealt with one another in truth and there's no love? Man, you're talking about brutal. Now, you'd be telling the truth. It's like the guy, you know, you're out there in the middle of the desert and you've got a flat tire. You're going on to, you know, to, to Nevada or someplace and, you know, there's not a, a gas station in sight and you've had a flat tire. And finally, after hours, you know, somebody comes up. You just came back from South Dakota, so you had some of those stretches out there where there's nobody. And you have this flat tire, Jeff, and, and all of a sudden, you know, you're walking, you're going, do I walk? Do I, you know, I don't even have phone coverage out here. And you're just, how do I fix this? And suddenly a car comes over and you see the headlights and you're going, good. And the guy slows down, puts his window down, and says, buddy, just want you to know you got a flat tire, and then goes on. Did he tell you the truth? Yeah. But he didn't love you. <laughs> now, is there a reverse of that? Every mama in here, every mama, have you ever been so much, you just love that child, that grandchild so much, that it's all love, and you kind of hate the truth because you just don't want to break that heart or you know, that, that tender spirit. The Bible says truth and love. God turns on the light to our sin, but then he shows us how to correct it. He points us back to Christ. He, he always shows us the gospel so that it's not just, man, woe is me, that we find out that there's hope even for the vilest of all sinners. Well, there's one last thing. Not only does he kind of point us in the right direction, we've fallen and he brings us back up to our right standing, but it, look at that last part, training in righteousness. Training in righteousness. The word Paul uses here is, is associated with training children, and it's, it's this correction, restoring, but really kind of setting, hey, you, uh, let's give you a good path so that you don't even have to make a mistake in the first place. In the next couple of weeks, as we explore this topic of how to discern truth more and more in our lives, uh, we'll look at these a little bit more intimately and uh, see that God has put his word there for this purpose. This is, this is foundational, guys. This is foundational. That God so loved us that not only did he give us his son, but he gave us his word. And in a day and time when people question or ask what is truth, folks, well, we've got it right here. We have scriptural, doctrinal truth for our lives. 
truth that sometimes will step on our toes, turn on the light into our darkness, but always with a redeeming outcome, always pointing to Christ, always pointing to the hope. And I pray that that's the kind of body that, that we can be to, to each other, that we're just part of that body of Christ, always picking one another up, always showing people the redemption of Christ in our lives. It all starts with what we believe. And we're not here to take a vote of, do you believe in this, that? No, he's already given us his word. It is intimate. It is intentional. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, this morning we, we do. We thank you that, uh, Father, that you have given us your word. And Father, if we're going to talk about truth for the next several weeks and how to discern truth in, in a very uh, world that, that would tell us all kinds of different things, Father, we need to have something to, to measure it by, something to, to truly see what is truth and what is not. And Father, this morning we see that even our head and our heart sometimes are tainted. Uh, Father, even as Christians, that, that we're not always able to discern that just by ourselves. But Father, your word is never going to lie. Your word is going to be foundational in truth in everything that it does. And so Father, this morning, we just come before you. And Father, I, I pray that, that we as a church, as a body of believers, that we would be this body where there is good doctrine. And there is just really, Father, the, the, the truth of your word. And Father, I pray that this can be a place where in accountable relationships, that, that really there's repro- reproof and rebuke. Not for the sake of just pointing out sins, but that we would help uh, one another. And Father, that we wouldn't stop and just point out what is dark. But Father, that we would help stand that person back up. And that, that Father, there truly would be training in righteousness. That, Father, we would just kind of figure out by the, your word and believing in faith what it says of how to go the right way. So, Father, today we, will you call us together to be a people that are just founded on your word? And, Father, we thank you for Christ. Father, today we, we think, as we would sing this song that we believe, Father, we thank you that we can see it with, uh, sing it with conviction and know in our hearts and our lives that this is the proclamation that this community needs to to hear, that we need to hear, and that we can stand and say in a firm amen, this is what we believe. We love you, Father. We thank you for Christ. As we pray all this in his name, amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.